Welcome to the 9 to 5 Killers podcast, an explorative and insightful journey inside the minds of some of the most successful entrepreneurs who have killed their day jobs to pursue their passions. Streets raise me, born in 80s baby, Lord save me, cause today I'm going crazy with this bullsh, 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 crazy with this bullsh, bullsh, bullsh. Welcome to episode 13 of the 9 to 5 Killers podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Graham. I have a very special guest today, Suzanne, a hat designer and the creative mind behind the brand Marine and Deerfield. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm going to get right into it. When did you first discover that you had an obsession with hats? As a kid, I would put a bucket on my head and run around like I loved hats and When I was, I'd say in college, I used to collect um, vintage hats, right? Like silly little, I say that, but (laughs) (laughs) we have a few, Um, (laughs) but real old vintage ones, things that I just don't wear now, Right. but it was a different look. I had short blonde hair or I had a little red bob or I had many looks. And and what made you decide that, because you you don't meet many women that wear hats. Yeah. So it had to be a very, is there any reason that somebody you saw wearing hats or was it just something that you to, picked to up? To get into the making of the hats like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I was a big fan, still am, of the 20s and 30s, like Louise Brooks and the silent picture. And, you know, they all wore hats then. So I was always mm-hmm. into hats. Um, and then later on when I moved to New York, I... I bought cheap hats back then, like, you know, little trilby straw hats and stuff. Always had a hat on. But it really, it's, it's really bizarre. I never imagined like making a hat or where hats come from. Like they're just birthed with a designer. Like what I I never thought about it. I didn't even know the history. I didn't know most women made their own hats. And then there were the designers that made the hats and there were milliners that made hats for designers. Yeah. I didn't even know what a milliner. You just, you, you, um, Earlier today, you don't even realize, just a few minutes ago, you gave me a name that I never heard, so a milliner. So what is a milliner? milliner? What is that? Yeah, a milliner is a person who makes hats, but I personally clarify that as um, like fancy fascinators and the hats that go to the races or the weddings. Um, It's not just women that make them. Obviously, there's um, Philip Tracy, and I'm going to forget a few names right now because I'm on the spot, but they're men in England who are famous milliners. But um, I think of a hat maker of someone who makes the kind of felt brim hats like fedoras and cowboy hats. And I don't think you would call like um, Stetson a milliner. Right. Right. It doesn't. I mean, someone might argue that point, but I don't think that applies there. So when I when I when I think of a hat, I'm thinking of a person, not even a person. I'm thinking of a a company Mm -hmm. and they have like a blotter, a hat blotter, and they just make out a whole bunch of different style hats Mm -hmm. and they follow like it's almost like a mold. Yeah. And they just do all the same hats. I'm not thinking that someone's making a particular hat. So that's right. what I was fascinated. I've been wearing hats for about 20 years now. And you are the first hat designer that I've ever met that made one of my hats. So once I found out that you made it and someone tagged you in a photo, I was like super excited. Yeah. Because this is my first understanding that someone created this hat. A mm-hmm. person created this hat. Well, that's Absolutely. it, And I had the same experience. I've never met a milliner. I never saw a hat shop where people were making them. You find retail stores where they sell the hats um, produced in a factory. 
but when I was living in Germany, we did a trip to Spain. We were in Sevilla and mm-hmm. I was walking around the little streets and there was this amazing, I think it's called an atelier, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was filled with these beautiful straw hats. They were like sculpture. And I just, you know, my face against the window. What are these things? Mm-hmm. And this guy came over, opened the door and he said, yeah, you can come in. We're not a store. They're a studio. They actually made hats for the runways in Spain and France. So um, it just at that moment, I was like, what? You know, like, right. huh? <laughs> so when I went back to Germany, I started Googling like, you know, how to make a hat, making hats online. You know, I didn't know. Right. And of course, it's, it's impossible to do anything in English Googling in Germany. It's right. very hard. But I got online not an online school, but I got in England, the London School of Fashion, they do short courses in millinery. Oh. I'm like, oh. And I'm like, huh, honey? Um, <laughs> it's like 55 euros to fly to London from Hamburg. Right. So it's really cheap. I stayed in Airbnb uh, in an apartment, some woman's like room in her house. And um, I felt like a you know, college student again. And mm-hmm. I took these, I did another class as well, like an advanced sewing skills class, as well as that class just to see, because this is a longer story, but I was at kind of a turning point in my life. Like, what am I doing next? So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to try it out and see if I liked it. And I immediately just fell in love with the making of the hats. Because it, to me, it filled all of the things I'd been doing, like art, painting, sculpture, design, fashion, uh, even building the website for the hats because I was the web program designer and mm-hmm. whatever, like all of these things, you know, and the performance, you know, putting a hat on, making it. And so all of this came together. So I, that's how that wow. began. Basically. And how long, how long did you go to this, this school? So the school itself wasn't very long. I did, a, I went back and I did a private with the instructor. Um, but when I got back to Hamburg, I started looking around for a situation where, you know, there aren't that many places like that where they make hats like these village hats where Julia is running it but I found this woman who in this really cool it's kind of an area that looks like the east village there it's, right. it's totally different than some of the upper like because the rest of it looks like the upper east side it's right. funny it's just very nice <laughs> neighborhoods right. but there she had this little shop and it was really tiny and she's working in the back making the hats and I'd come down in there and I'd go hi <laughs> I'm, yeah, hi. I'm, I just took some classes and um, right. I'm interested in learning more. And she would just be like with her arms in front of her cross going, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, like, so she was reluctant to teach you anything. Oh, yeah. And it, it's partly that being German, they're um, uh, not standoffish, but like skeptical, maybe just not sure. And I didn't know the full details until later. And basically it's because there aren't that many hat shops there. And, and some woman's coming in saying she wants to learn how to make hats she's like are you gonna open a shop so she just kept saying so what's your plan <laughs> you know right. and i'm like well i want to learn as much as i can when i move back to new york i can start making hats she's like so you don't want to open a shop here right no she's like okay you can come <laughs> okay so she, what did what did you yeah. learn working for so, this woman? so yeah so there i was her new her american apprentice and mm-hmm. i was there like three or four days a week along with her real apprentice and they have a serious strict apprenticeship program. It's like a three-year apprenticeship, and then they go and work for different places, and I don't know, it's long. I told her, uh, America, we don't need to do that. I can right. just make a hat and go, hi. Right, right. <laughs> but there they have like pretty strict rules. You couldn't just open a shop without having a special um, hat master wow, degree wow. thing. Well, I mean, I love the hats that you make, so Thanks. did you 
So after working with this woman, like how did you hone your skills or decide what type of hat you were going to make? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause in the beginning, I mean, the style there is completely different. It's, um, beautiful technique really everything is, but it's not, not at all like what I do. So it was really just as I was creating my, you know, my brand and thinking about it when I, when I first moved back here, there were still quite a few of these style hats cause I was just learning and I could see that they're just, nobody wants them, maybe a little, little lady here or, you know, right, I would right. reshape them and steam them. And I just started making what I like to wear. And I like something with a kind of a Western style to it, a tall crown or the super flat ones. And the more and more I was making those, I've gotten more reaction, people that gravitate towards it. And I like their style. So I'm like, okay. Right. So like in my studio, I have a, a few things that are inspiration and one's a poster filled with one is just women, but they're all like, um, like Bridget Bardot, Jane Fonda from Cat Below and like Western style, like, so like Western. even like, yeah. And okay. they're just seventies basically, but that's sort of seventies hat. But like my, um, the gaucho that you like is mm -hmm. called the Van Cleef. The Van Cleef. Yeah. Lee Van Cleef from the good, the bad and the ugly. So, so what do you, what would you say is one, because a lot of people, there's not many people that wear Western hats in, yeah. in, in New York that I seen. Right. It's very few. So what is, what is your inspiration or, or what are some of your, your inspirations and some of your challenges also with making hats of that style in New York city? Yeah. I mean, I've learned a lot going forward with, especially that wide brim one, because the wire is essential to be nice and um, thick. So it doesn't get bent because you're dealing with people who will take that hat and not treat it quite as precious. Like for me, it's my baby. Here you go. Right. But um, they get bent, they get messed up. And then, but I always say, bring it back. I'll fix it. I'll even take the wire out and put a new one. If I, especially if it's the earlier ones that had the thinner wire, like I right. feel awful letting that go out. But as far as style, yeah. I mean, you know, in the winter it's, I don't sell as many hats. Mm -hmm. I, I think in general, it's harder for felt hats. It's a, uh, people like them in the fall, but then when it's really cold, they don't know how to wear them. Their ears are exposed. Right. I have the solution to that. Yeah. But, um, but for summer people are going to wear hats cause it's sunny and you know, they're on the beach or wherever they're in the city. So, um, I found like, especially with my style, because besides Besides that style, that's mostly like felts with my straws. I have a few particular styles. They're not all specifically Western, but they kind of stem from this um, cool 70s beach vibe. And I have a retail shop in Amagansett. Uh, yeah, it's Amagansett. And mm -hmm. I mean, she sells a lot of my hats. Mm. Yeah, like some celebrities. I love listening to the yeah. celebrities. <laughs> I get, um, what, do you, what do you think? Um, I know we were talking earlier and you had mentioned uh, we had something in common that was we weren't talking actually i listened to a um i listened to a video uh, wasn't a video it was an audio you sent me yeah and you mentioned um what inspired you to stick with what you were doing and you mentioned your dad about oh. your dad what what about him kind of inspired you i guess you said in the am i saying it wrong you said that he didn't that he didn't do certain things and you and you and you made sure that you finished your projects yeah, yeah he well he was complimenting me on my talent your dad yeah okay. and he felt like he never was good at one thing that he was good at many things um and he would always because i used to paint and he would always encourage me to paint because he really loved my paintings yeah my paintings are great everyone sees them like oh 
why aren't you doing that? Because it didn't inspire me because the work that goes into it is very emotional. It's for me, like I couldn't control the outcome of that painting with whatever skill that I have. I still couldn't. Um, and I guess that's a control issue thing that I have. Mm -hmm. So with the hats, I have much more control over what I'm making and I get a, a better satisfaction. It's a lot quicker, you know? Right. But I think that's what I was talking about. No, I think you said, <laughs> Yeah, you tell me what did I okay, say? <laughs> you said that, um, you know, I think I had kind of connected with you cause you said that, you know, how talented your dad was. He hadn't finished things. Yeah. And I, oh, it, yeah. it resonated with me because one of the things, and I'll just tell you what my father is. My father, I think was a brilliant man, but he didn't finish certain things that I, I was very curious about. So he worked very hard to create a book on the Rubik's cube. He can solve the Rubik's cube within like one minute. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote, this book and we, me and my brothers and my sisters, we, we were paid to create his diagrams of the cube yeah. and to solve some of it. And then he created a, a whole curriculum, how to solve the, 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 um, the crew, the, the, the cube and a format. Mm -hmm. And then he, he created the book, he finished the book, but he never published it. Yeah. So that always bothered me. Cause I was like, yeah. and then, you know, it, it got me to thinking that now that, you know, when I'm older and I'm thinking he had five kids, Right. So he probably didn't have a lot of time for himself. He had to work this job and, but I still don't know why he didn't finish it. Yeah. So you had mentioned it and it kind of, yeah, you know, and it's interesting because my dad also was always talking about this book that he wanted to write and on and on about it. And he started writing it. He had chapters and chapters written of it. Um, but it just like for years, never going anywhere. I mean, there's, there are a lot of other things, like you said, like that, you know, they pick up and they don't finish it or, you know, then he started after he retired much later, started working on glass sculptures, like those, I don't know how to describe like it. Like figurines? No, they're, it's mostly like, like flat, like a window with it, like etched in like okay. beautiful things. And you know, we would say, you know, it's really hard to sell that dad. Why don't you do it in the glasses? Cause then you right. can go to one of these markets and you can sell a lot, but whatever. The, the point is like, these were these things he would do as a project, but it didn't really go anywhere. Cause he didn't really listen to the help that was offered him. Right. And with this book, um, when he passed away, I was given like all of the stuff and it's notebooks and notebooks with post-its and post-its and details. He was in the air force. He went mm -hmm. to West Point. Um, he has a lot, like had a boat that crashed off of Newfoundland. Like, Oh, he, you, you read all this stuff. I've pieces, but the, pieces the one of the problems was though, that it's, I think it's not easy to be a writer, first of all. And, um, it's the stories, the facts are really interesting to read. But he would put a lot of like that, you know, I'm older now and I'm looking back and his opinion on like life and this and that. And it wasn't as interesting. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't it like the, yeah. his point of view? Wasn't his it? point of view. Cause he, mm -hmm. he did a lot of that nostalgic thing of like, oh, I, you know, I wish this, you know, and no one wants to read about that. We want to read about this thing that happened. That was great. So I think there's a lot of material there. And I've actually promised my brother, I would go through some of the chapters and like maybe right. make a little short story, you know, just for us, right. make it readable. But I want to go back a little bit further. Sure. Now, what was your last like nine to five job that you had? Oh. <laughs> and what made you leave it for, you know, for working for yourself? So, I mean, I didn't start out that way. I mean, I went to art school, I want to be a painter, didn't want anything to do with the nine to five world. But coming out of art school, you know, and, and I moved directly to New York, 
I needed a job. So I was temping. I was at a temp agency and it was good because I got to know New York. I was all over the place. But the last bit of it, I, I keep, I, I will get this mixed up because it was, seems so long ago now, but right. I was at that, you know, the Citibank building in Long Island city okay. when it was just the only thing that was tall over there now. Right, right. I was there for some time. And, and that was the point where this would be like 1994 or something mm-hmm. where this guy comes over to me and hands me this big book, which is an HTML book. And he goes, we have this thing called an intranet. And I want you to like figure out how to like make our website work, you know, for it's the intranet thing. Right. We want to put our documents on it. And remember there was a girl sitting behind me and she had like the computer and she's like, I got this Netscape. I'm like, what is that? What do you mean? Where is that going? Right. Where are you getting that? <laughs> so that's, that's where it kind of like I was doing 95 temping. And when that whole group, that group got laid off for some reason, I ended up working at another company called CMP media as a technology company. And I started again, like just in the beginning, I was just doing like the HTML and like we were producing like um, technology magazine, the online technology magazine articles. It was so important. And uh, eventually, like because one woman left, I ended up sitting in that building was on 34th and Park. It's that brown one that's kind of turned at an angle. There, then there's some sort of like radio station in there as well, because I always see the coolest people going up and down the videos, right. uh, elevators. But I had an office window and I could see from both angles, like I'm right across from the Empire State Building and I could see the World Trade Center in the other direction. Right. So for a minute, I was an executive producer at this of, of like a, right. little, you know, and we were ended up calling Tech Web was the name. Yeah. Um, but 2000... I guess 2000, right? So around 2001, mm-hmm. slowly, it started getting slower and, and slower. drying up. Yeah. Right. But I actually, I think I was there till 2007. And, and like, I was working from home at that point. They, right. they would just, you know, keep putting us out three days a week and saying, I need to quit. I need to quit. But like, the money was so good. I had one of those 401k things yeah. and... Like I, you know, I don't know, but I just want to paint. I don't want to paint. What'd you do with it? Did you ever cash it out or you kept it? I had to use it to pay off my credit card debt. Oh, that's, that's well, listen. fucking insane. Yeah. At least, listen, at least you got it. At least you got it done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it taught me a big lesson. Yeah. But, what, did, what was, yeah. what is something that you learned from working for someone like that, that you take into your, like your um, creative side when you're doing your, your own creative works? Yeah. Like um, dealing with clients and stuff. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, I think being brave to talk to people and, you know, even even going to London and study on my own and doing something like that, it's a big step, you know, it, and maybe it's not when you're younger because you just do that, but you get really set in like your life and a mother of kids and we're doing this. And so even in the business, like um, I'm not as shy because I had to pick up that phone and talk to people because we had people in San Francisco and Canada, like we had to call and deal with. So it helped me be, I don't know, braver. And it was, it was a funny time too, because all of my friends are in the creative. So they're all in Manhattan doing advertising and design. And Mm -hmm. I'm over, you know, wherever, like just working on tech stuff. Tech stuff. So, (laughs) so, so like now meeting you, it's a little different because when you, when you, when I think of a person that creates hats, I think of a certain type of person, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, what does that person do? Like, do they wear hats? So I was surprised that you, that you wear hats because yeah. you know, and you wear them well. Um, um, I usually see like, let's say for example, whenever I see, don't want to get myself in trouble, mm-hmm. but whenever I see a person who does 
a stylist, for example. Yeah. Most stylists that I meet can't dress. That's just my, that's just been my experience. Yeah. So I'm like, I wonder how this hat person, when I, when I was going to meet you, I was like, I wonder what she's like. I wonder if she can dress. Yeah. And you can, like, yeah. and, you, and you wear your hats well. Are all the hats you wear, are they yours or do you wear other designers' hats? I'm trying to collect other designers' hats, but um, I usually, like, when they come to visit, because we do a lot in this shop where they'll do, like, a class and we'll have a party and... And I'm like, oh, I love that hat, you know, and I buy it or we do a swap and then they're still beautiful hats, but they don't look good on me. They don't right. feel like me when I was like a little cap, you know. And it's so you like, like your own hats? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And and also, you know, I would wear a hat and someone would go, oh, did you make that hat? I'm like, no, I didn't make that hat. Well, what do your hats look like? And I want to sell my hats. I like in the summertime when I walk into that shop where they're selling my hats, first thing I do is go around and straighten them all up. (laughs) And then, and then, um, you know, I'm standing there and I'm wearing a hat and all of a sudden the owner will come by someone standing there like buying $2,000 worth of jewelry. And she'll go, Oh look, this is Suzanne. She makes the hats. And they're like, Oh, I love that hat. I literally sold a hat off my head to uh, a woman who's like the assistant or something to, um, Oh, juice. I just forget his name. Um, a it's designer. Okay. We'll, yeah, we'll come back to it. Yeah. Big designers. And yeah, I was like, I've had people take the hat. And the other day I went into the shop, I was wearing a hat and this woman's like, I want that hat. Right. <laughs> it was that hat I was wearing. And you're talking about East Village hats, right? <laughs> yeah. East Village so hats. shout out to Julia yeah. at East Village hats. Great place to work. Yeah. I, that's where I got yeah. your hat. That's why, that's how I met kind of how we're meeting now. Cause yeah. going yeah. to Julia's, uh, hat store. Yeah. So when you, when you, so what, one thing that I gathered from that story you just mm-hmm. told me was, you know, so you're there, you're at a place, people's buying jewelry, your hats are there. What makes you not say, hey, this is my hat? Do you feel like a, a certain way about promoting yourself? No, I, it's really, I'm, I've always been able to separate, you know, and, and there I know I'm working the store and I'm, I'm there to sell all the hats. And right. also I'm, I'm there, I really want to sell a hat to that person. So if I pushed my hat. Right, it might not be a fit. It's not, yeah, exactly. So, you know, they all have competition. I always say that my hats have competition because there's other hats there, but I will absolutely push like Tierra Taylor, who's another milliner. Her hats are amazing and I'll push her hats or our hats. It just depends on the person. Right. Yeah. If you feel it fits them. Yeah, exactly. So Mm. that's never been a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So do you find that because you, you, you're here, you see, you're going to a milliner's, was it milliner's? Uh, uh, milliner guild. A milliner uh, guild. It's a meeting and then our holiday party. Yeah. Oh, is that the holiday party as well? It is. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What time is the holiday party? It's an hour after the meeting. So seven and then eight. Okay. And so <laughs> yeah. what happens at these parties? Um, it would be my first, so I don't know. Okay. So I'm um, probably just have like wine and cheese or something like that. Right, right. But the meeting is we, you know, we just have a list of items of things that we have to talk about and we get an itinerary ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question. What, what advice would you give to your, to your younger self? If, knowing everything that you know now, what would you, what advice would you give yourself in business? You know, I, I think a lot about the idea of like, what would you have done differently? But, um, it's hard because if I had done anything differently, I wouldn't be where I am. And maybe sure it'd be nice to be making more money. But again, the milliner hat making business back in the day, like uh, I think 20 years ago was really bad, right? So there were a lot of milliners in the city and the shops were closing down. 
So it's one thing you could say is to somehow stick with it. Cause now that retrospectively we look back at even those websites that shut down and now look at them, right? Everything's online. So right, there's, right. there's some things there, but, um, you know, just, yeah, I mean, I would have had, <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. It's hard. You, you would, you would say that. So when I look at, when I look at somebody, what, when someone asks me a question, like what, what would I do? Right. And, and one of the things that I think about is things that I, things that I just let go, you know, cause one of the things we talked about is, is, is not, is somebody not finishing something, but how do you know when to mm-hmm. let something go or when, or when to give something up? Right. Because it's very easy to be on a path and, and you see it. Yeah. And at what point do you realize that maybe I'm chasing a dead horse? You know, I'm riding a dead horse. Right. Or beating a dead horse. Maybe. I mean, when, when it doesn't make you feel good, like if you're feeling good and you still can see the future in that, then you can keep pushing towards it. But if you're really, you know, every time you do it, it's a chore and you're not enjoying the process and something's wrong. And then that's when you need to let go. And it goes, it goes for everything, even friends. Yes, right? I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially friends. Because, yeah. you know, when, <laughs> one of the things that I, I find is, is when, is when something works seamless, it, everything snaps, it works together. Yeah. When it's something that you have to, like, I'm not saying that these things aren't work, but when it feels like a laborious task every time, yeah. that's, a, that's your body and it's a sign telling you, maybe this is not for you. Right. Yeah. And that's not the same thing as just like one day I get up and I'm like, I don't feel like doing it. I don't want to make the hats. I want to like do this. I want to do that. Like I'm, it's too cold in the studio. It's, those are just like those little things to overcome it. But again, it's this repetition. Like if it's happening all the time and you're making excuses and like, I couldn't sit down at the easel. I made so many different excuses that after a while it was like, this is not what pushes me. This is not that fun thing that I was doing that I enjoyed. Right. So, right. Yeah. What do you find people feel like when they know that you design hats? How does how does it change the experience? Do people ask you to create things for them that you don't want to do? Or do you find that it's more it's exciting now that people can reach out to you and talk to you via the Internet and yeah. social media? Yeah. I'm people you know, see what I do and they want me to do that. Or I've had fun. Like one of the, my favorite, um, reach outs was this woman who saw a little mini top hat that I made and didn't ask for that. She asked me to do a replica of, a like a cosplay top hat from the character from good omens. Right. Which I can't remember is Azriel or something like that. Okay. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do more of that. I want to do cosplay stuff because if you've seen any of my photos from Halloween, you'll know that I've made the Maleficent horns. Yeah. I've made a top hat for my own Mad Hatter kind of magician costume. I, I love to create. So, and these are fun projects to work on. Right. So I've, I haven't had any like downers really. No downers? No, no downers. That's no good. Downers, really. That's really good. Because yeah. usually when you talk to someone who does in a creative space, yeah. they have a story for you and it's like, well, no, I don't want to do that. So what, yeah. what kind of, what challenges do you face in the business dealing with, I guess, because I don't know, where, where do you get your products from? Do, do you have to go to a certain person or do you go to different people? How does it work? That is a huge problem for milliners because, um, in New York City, there used to be so many more. In fact, I think it was like 39th Street. That was like Milliner Row. row and mm-hmm. you had lots of shops where you could get the material. 
like, and it was um, feathers, and which there still are a lot of feather places, but like ribbons and millinery, like um, the materials and stuff. And now there's really only one place where we can get the material in the city. And it's pricey, of course, because right, of the because, retail. Right. But I love to go there if like you, you just want one thing. You're doing a project, someone, you know, you go there. And the guy that runs it, Raymond of Manhattan Co. is amazing. Yes. So it's a great place. Um, and we still do have uh, East Coast trimmings. They have the, the most amazing ribbons, plus they have vintage ones from France and Italy. And I say their names because... One of the things we have to do is share this information because a lot of these places don't even know if people are like, I'm not going to share that because, you know, I'm afraid someone else is going to go there and take the business. You know, I won't have that material. Then he's not going to have the customers. And then he'll close down. Right. Interesting. So in this country, and I don't know the exact numbers, we don't have that many actual suppliers suppliers we don't have that many suppliers there's a there's a few and some of them only work with stores um and so for me when i lived in germany i got to meet like the supplier in uh, florence and in fact right before i moved back i did a trip with my uh, mentor at the time and we went to florence and we checked out a couple of the suppliers there but um that's like you know 50 to 100 dollars shipping right so at least they they have a sort of base shipping price so you know if you just get a bunch get a bunch of stuff and i did okay. in the beginning but now it's like okay now i gotta use that stuff before i order anything else um but yeah so the supply thing is it's hard it's a real um yeah challenge is there anything anything else you you envision for yourself besides hat making because i know you said earlier <laughs> that it's not your only passion what else do you like to yeah do? i'm like a, that expression i'm a spiritual girl in the material <laughs> world yeah, no, I mean, I do. I have some things up my sleeve. I'm really into doing. I'm not sure I'm really into oh, you don't, you don't want to share it? sharing it yet. Okay, don't share. But, don't share. Uh, maybe that'll be the next interview. That'll be, that'll be part two. Yeah. So yeah. you said that you have two boys, twins. Yes, I do. So are any of them into hats at all? No. Yes. You know, it's funny because when they were little, I used to always put a like the the newsboy cap like you had like on them. Oh, I love newsboy caps. Yeah. And they would wear it and they and and both of them loved to put on hats and especially Jackson, my one son, he loved to dress up. Um, But now they have their own style and their style is like, don't touch me, don't make me, you know, they're not going to. Really? I mean, even my husband doesn't wear my hats. <laughs> really? We have to have a talk to them. <laughs> well, you have a new like fan. A so if, if it's anything, I love your hat. So thank you. I'll wear your hat. You look great in the hat. No, I mean, you, you know, the craftsmanship of, of the hat is just, so I just give a little, little rundown of this hat. So this hat is amazing. Hmm. When I say that the craftsmanship that went into it, cause I wear, I've been wearing hats, like I said, 20 years. So, when I pick up a hat and I feel it and I put it on, I can't describe it. Like, you know, my friend's like, well, how do you know that that's the hat? Like one of my friends was like, how do you know that you're gonna, why would you spend that on a hat? And I'm saying like, you just know, like it's, it's hard to explain. It's like, yeah. you can feel it. You can see where, you know, I never had the opportunity to sit down and talk with someone who created a hat that I wear, but in feeling that hat, just every part of it, it wasn't too heavy. It wasn't too light. Mm-hmm. you know it, it was just right that's yeah. like that's i know it sounds silly but that's the only way i can describe it yeah. because when you know what you know when there's a hat and it doesn't fit you well like i've definitely bought hats that look really nice i put them on and then never worn them right. i mean never wore right. them because they didn't fit me well 
you yours i have to try not to wear it. i'm like this is a this is an important hat for important occasions but yeah. I, I find myself wearing it because <laughs> i feel like life is an important yeah. occasion so i wear hats just because like i used to i mean the thing that inspired me and i think it i will share this story that might inspire other people to um, have some insight of why i would dress up so often uh, there was a friend of mine he has his aunt and she had really expensive taste and she bought all of these amazing hats and garbs and stuff and then she never really wore them she wore them on special occasions and then when she passed away we discovered all this stuff and her kids sold them and so my my friend was like you know what i'm not going to be that way I'm like what do you mean he's like i'm going to make sure that I live for today. Like, you know, you don't know what tomorrow's promise. So every day is a celebration. Every day you wake up is a celebration for yeah, me. Yeah. So if it's a, a rainy day, sometimes I'll get dressed up. The worse the day, sometimes the more dressed I'll be mm -hmm. because I'm trying to create that energy. And so that when people look at you, sometimes they get energy. Like when I look at somebody well-dressed, I might've been having a bad day or a, a somewhat a bad moment because I don't think my whole day has ever been bad. And that person kind of lightens you up, lightens your day. And I feel like because people have this idea of I'm only going to get where make an effort when I get dressed up or I'm going out, we, they, you know, you yeah. use 10% of your wardrobe, mm -hmm. you spend all this money, but you're using 10% of your wardrobe because you're only going out. Some of us work Monday through Friday. So we're only going out Friday and Saturday, yeah, maybe Sunday. So you're only using like a, a fraction of your wardrobe and then, you know, you're not going to be here forever. So you got to, you have a limited time to wear it. Yeah. So I wear it when I, when I want, and that's usually almost every day. Well, you know, that's true. <laughs> and, and hats, okay, here's my thing. Hats create the story. So, mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of hats. So depending on the hat I put on, it like creates a story and it does get attention. I have people that stop me on the subway too yeah. and say they like my hat. Um, and I, I think that's like when you're going back to asking me about that attraction is because you do, you can kind of put it on and you can create this whole look and you can create a new persona, personality, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, and, um, there's this old saying, is this the old saying, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you wear the hat, don't let the hat wear you. Right. Right. It's kind of like that party yeah. that, that yeah. one of the um, things that, that I noticed on Friday, Friday yeah. when we went down to the, uh, the event, there was a woman and she was checking out one of your hats, it was a gaucho hat, right? Yes. And she was, I thought the hat looked beautiful on her. I think the hat kind of chose her. I'm like, this hat chose you, you need to wear this hat. She put it on, but I think she was not a hat person. So she was afraid about spending that kind of money for the hat. And she was asking me, what, what can I wear with it? And I'm like, you wear a leather jacket with it or a shawl. And she was like, can I wear a sweatshirt? And I'm like, you definitely don't want to do that. You know, cause I mean, I feel some type of way people wear those sweatshirts with a hat. Yeah. And I think what a hat does, even for me, I'd say, is it elevated my taste. Cause I love sweatshirts, but once I realized I started buying nice hats, like when you, so um, I bought from you, yeah. I started to realize, you know, you can't wear a sweatshirt. You can, but why? Right. It, it's supposed to be like, you know, like you said, it's, it's a story. Yeah. So when I wear a hat, I I happen to love Western Western as well. I, I, I watch Westworld. I don't know if you if you know that yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my kind of theme. Any Western, yeah. I love those. So when I'm wearing a hat, I want the whole outfit to match. So it kind of, it adds to the whole thing. And yeah. the, the hat will be yeah. the finishing touch. You know, right. the tie, the the blazer, whatever. The Yeah, those vests. are the accessories. Yeah. The hats, the coat, the tie, the shoes, yeah. the whole look. I have yeah. a dozen vests, you know, like yeah. that's my thing. Yeah, that's perfect with it. I yeah. mean, your hat has a story too. It's, yeah. um, 
because you know I'm very heavily influenced by the West and Westerns as well. And um, there is a guy. So back in the day, right when I mean this. I'm just going to do the best with this story. That's okay. hundred percent accurate. It's fine. You know, no one's going to check. Businessmen (laughs) came on the East coast and eventually, you know, people went out West to try to find their new lives. And there was a guy that his name was doc something, but not the doc from the Western. Not doc holiday. No, 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 no. Like I'm pretty sure I might have the name kind of wrong, but he wore a, a bowler or, but, I think it was called more of like a derby. So I started doing researches. What's the difference between a derby and a bowler? And there are different thoughts on this, but and some have to do with whether or not it's English or American. But I view it also as the shape because that was something else I read. So the bowler tends to look more like a bowl, whereas the derby's taller. So yours is more like a derby. And it reminded me of this guy's hat because his was ridiculously tall. Right. But like he ended up out west as a sheriff. So, you know, I think of John Cleese in uh, Silverado, I think, in like the saloon. He was a sheriff, I think. And I think he was wearing a bowler as well. Right. So when I think of these bowlers, I'm not really think of like Charlie Chaplin. I'm thinking right, of neither. this sort of more rugged kind of thing going on, you know? And, and so, rug, I think rugged elegance. I, I love yeah, the, yeah, yeah, I love exactly. the style of it. And, and by the way, it's like when you put on a piece, it's like you don't see everybody walking down the block with it. Because I've been, I've been searching for a bowler for like probably... I'd say about eight years or so mm-hmm. or more. Mm-hmm. And the ones that I saw in any hairstyle that I liked, they, they felt very heavy and they felt dated. Yeah. Like it felt like something that, you know, the older man in the church would wear. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to wear that. I want something that I, that looks cool. It's hip. It's kind of heavyish, lightish, like mid, like midweight. Yeah. Yours was like perfect. Yeah. They so that was really great. Make them very like stiff and hard and yeah. Yeah. They're not comfortable. Yeah, now yours is the right, the right, just everything, right texture. Happy. Whole nine. So happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> very happy, very happy. So I have two more questions and then we're going to end. Okay. So this question is going to be, um, the first question would be, when you first started out, did you know that you were going to take it that as far as you did? Or did you think it was going to be just like, did you have a, like a lot of, did you ever have any doubts in between your, your journey to, from there until now? With the hat, in regards the to the hat making? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, if anything, um, I go into things very optimistic and I know that it can happen. So the only reason why it won't happen is because I'm not doing something. I'm not pushing myself harder, I'm, you know, being lazy or something. Because I think that I can see the talent. I've now been reinforced by the lovely things that people say to me. Um, I feel good about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... I'd like to be a little further on that in that dream, but um, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm happy. When you, when you say further, what do you mean? More sales. More sales. <laughs> More private customers. <laughs> More private customers. Yeah. So I feel like when it comes to that, right? I think all these things are attainable, right? Yeah. So it's a matter of how would I put it? So when I think about a goal, right? Mm-hmm. I say, let's say, what do I want more of? And whatever that thing is, there is a process to get to them right mm-hmm. so what process would you say or do you know the process or you or do you, are you still dis- discovering it there i mean i know of a few things that i can do right. and i've 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 attempted a couple unsuccessfully right. so that is the thing do not give up don't and, give up and that's the easy thing to kind of fall into that's what i was gonna right? say yeah i was gonna so so you beat me to the punch so yeah. the point i was gonna make which you definitely understand already is when we're gonna do something 
it always, especially something, anything worthwhile, it always seems like it's this daunting task and we make a couple of errors or mistakes, but everybody that I've interviewed thus far, they've made mistakes and those mistakes have built us. So when I'm into, when I'm doing my stuff now, for example, the thing that I have, like podcasting is new for me. I've only been doing it since May, but I've had so many failures at things. And one of the, one of, so for example, one of my failures was thinking that something was going to be easy. Right. Like, so it's easy for me for right now to record a podcast. For me, it seems very easy, but that's not the hard part. The hard part is finding the people to interview, mm-hmm. quality people. There's people that do interviews. I mean, I shoot about four or five a month and I put out two a month, but there's people that put out far more, but with way less quality because they're not really sitting down. Like I make the, I make the effort to go find you and see you or talk to you. The people that I bring on, I want to talk to them. I want to make sure they can make a sentence. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we vibe with one another because I don't want to interview. Like one of the things that I don't want to do is I'm not going to leave my job to do something that I detest. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to interview people that I don't like. And people are like, well, Glenn, um, you don't, you're not going to like everybody. Anybody that I'm going to interview, I must have some comfort with them because what's the point? I want to make sure that the people that I'm that I'm introducing to the people that I that um, listen to my podcast know that they're quality and know that they're good people and know that their heart was in the right place when I spoke to them. That yeah. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, because you have to have a rapport. There has to yeah. be a connection. And if you're just interviewing someone because they're you know whatever they're super famous or smart, they have this business and there's nothing there. People can feel that in the interview. I mean, yeah. I've listened to podcasts too where they're it's just dead weight it's not fun and then then i've listened to other things where it's like the back and forth it's exciting and fun and you know you're you're listening to it whether it's fun or serious you're you know you're engaged and it's authentic like so so that's my thing i want i want authentic people right so with that being said what would you what would you say is one of the things that that makes you and your brand authentic well i guess it it goes back to um it's, it's a part of me. It's like there's things involved in the brand that go back to what I've loved since I was a child. Growing up in California, I had horses and watched Westerns and wanted to be those people riding, wearing those hats, you know, in the movies. So right, right. there's a, there's a connection. I'm not just somebody who, and I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Um, Cause there's a lot of great hat makers out there. Some of them are doing very similar work than I am, but I don't know their, their details. I don't know any of that, but, but I do know like as far as um, say designers who put together looks and stuff, those are just based on season or based on a theme. And that's not what I'm doing. I'm, it's part of, who I am in my background. And it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so like, you know, I know in, in fashion, you have to keep changing every season. You have to keep changing, et cetera. But it, with making hats, you don't, I mean, right. I come up with different colors. I can put different trim on it and I'll make, make some different shapes and I'll do custom. I'll do what you want, but you will find these particular things because they're classic shapes. Right. And, you know, and, they can go with those fashion clothes that you buy that are different and changing every season. <laughs> That's great. Well, <laughs> this is a very interesting mm-hmm. interview. I really, I'm glad to have you here and thank you for coming out. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. This is great. Um, so where can the people find you online? I'm going to put it in the episode notes, but how yeah. can they find you? And Oh, you can find me online at marineanddeerfield.com or on Instagram. 
Yeah. Okay, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Nine Five Killers podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Nine Five Killers. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or loved one. Hope you're having a blessed day and keep killing those comfort zones. Until next time, peace. The 9 to 5 Killers podcast is now available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Stitcher.